America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great uh, day when we actually take a look at two other great nations, both of which are in the midst of turmoil. Uh, one of them, the uh, nation of Israel, where the demonstrations, some of the demonstrations with more than 100,000 people, they say even 150,000 people in the streets of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, what is going on there? What is the outcome going to be of that turmoil? And then, of course, Ukraine. Ukraine uh, making slow progress, but people do believe they're making progress uh, coming up uh, on, on terms of their offensive. We will be speaking to Brett Stevens, who just got back from several days in Ukraine and has been doing some extraordinary reporting on what is going on there. And Brett is also somebody who uh, was editor for many years of the Jerusalem Post and uh, knows Netanyahu and knows what is going on uh, with, uh, with that country. And uh, he will be speaking to us about Ukraine, about Israel, and yes, about the election of 2024 and all the ups and the downs and uh, the attempts to demonize and jail the other side, which is now going uh, both ways. Uh, speaking of uh, demonizing the other side, uh, President Biden today is uh, campaigning actively in the uh, pleasant summer weather of northern New England. And yes, it is relatively pleasant in Maine, where he spoke at an Auburn Manufacturing Incorporated. It's a textile manufacturer. And he's speaking about Bidenomics and uh, about uh, how the economic news has been mostly pretty encouraging recently. And uh, today the market was up. Let's see, the market was up almost uh, another 200 points, the Dow Jones. And uh, the President of the United States, however, could not avoid speaking about the threat of impeachment. Impeachment of whom? Of him. Uh, this is President Biden speaking today in Auburn, Maine. Uh, listen. Republicans may have to find something else to criticize me for. Now that inflation is coming down. Maybe they'll decide to impeach me because it's coming down. I don't know. I love that one. Oh, anyway, it's another story. Are you joking? Is this a joke? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was supposed to say that. Uh, and that... Uh, to be so cheerful about the prospect of impeachment. And uh, speaking of uh, other prospects uh, that uh, actually deserve and will receive, I think, soon uh, the more intense attention is the series of congressional hearings about uh, Unidentified flying objects, which are unidentified aerial phenomena now. They're called UAPs. And uh, a former Navy pilot and a uh, former naval commander uh, both claimed uh, that they encountered uh, UAPs moving 
in ways far beyond what any known military aircraft can do. Uh, listen, clip 16. We were primarily seeing dark gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere. Look down a small, saw white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. These objects were staying completely stationary in Category 4 hurricane winds. These same objects would then accelerate to supersonic speeds, 1.1, 1.2 Mach, uh, and they would do so in very erratic and, and quick behaviors that we don't, I don't have an explanation for. You know, I'm not like a UFO fanatic. It's not, it's not me. But I will tell you that what we saw with four sets of eyes over a five-minute period, still, there's nothing. We have nothing close to it. Which is intriguing. And uh, then there's more about the potential UAP technology. Uh, listen. You know, Martha, after everything that I've witnessed over the last couple of months looking into this, as well as being denied access to information at Eglin Air Force Base, only to eventually see images for my own self and to draw that conclusion, I do believe that there is other life out there. I also believe that um, it is possible that the U.S. government is back engineering um, potentially technology that's not from this world. Uh, okay, there... What they're talking about is when they say rear backward engineering, uh, they're talking about crashed craft and then trying to use some of the secrets of those craft uh, to engineer our own uh, aircraft and our own possibilities. Uh, again, one of the things that uh, I know some members of Congress have brought up is right now the distance involved with any other potential civilization, certainly a very, very advanced civilization, is literally millions, if not billions, of light years. So the chances of having the kind of technology that could get you here to planet Earth all that distance away over all those literally millennia that it would take to get here one would uh, assume you would be capable of avoiding crashes uh, that would occur in, uh, in, in, in either uh, the desert of New Mexico or anywhere else. Uh, speaking of the desert of New Mexico, there's the desert of Arizona where Carrie Lake, potential Senate candidate, defeated candidate for governor, she did lose. Uh, she was speaking with Eric Bowling on Newsmax about why President Trump is so clearly outsmarting Jack Smith. Listen. Well, every single uh, thing they've thrown at him, um, he's turned it right back in their face, and, and he's proven to be right. They're wrong. They're just, they're just trying to bring him down, and you can't bring down a giant like Donald J. Trump. And I'll be honest, I think he would welcome that indictment. He would welcome a trial. I think he said it would be the trial of the century. I don't think that when they, they thought of all of that, and maybe during those meetings with his attorney, the attorneys brought it up and said, do you really want this? Because it's going to come right back in your face. They're playing checkers, and President Trump is playing, you know, chess at the highest level. So I, I don't think they, uh, they want to pick a fight with him. Okay, chess at the highest uh, level. And then there's uh, Ted Cruz, 
on uh, with similar sentiments about the Democrats and their concerns over January 6th and potential indictments there. Uh, listen, clip 12. The Democrats hate democracy. They are deathly afraid the voters will choose to elect Donald Trump. They don't want that to happen, and so they are trying to use the machinery of law enforcement to prosecute him. I think these, these indictments are a disgrace, and I think Merrick Garland should be impeached and removed from office for allowing the Department of Justice to be turned into a partisan hammer to attack the political enemies of the White House. Okay, uh, when they talk about uh, more <laughs> impeachments, uh, they've already talked about impeachments of uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and, uh, of course, Merrick Garland. Uh, meanwhile, we have a chance to speak to somebody who no one wants to impeach. Uh, it's one of the most up-the-middle, fair-minded, brilliant commentators on contemporary events. Uh, he'll be talking to us, Brett Stevens of the New York Times, about Ukraine, Israel, and the U.S. election, all coming up with Brett Stevens, right here on The Medved Show. Are you feeling tired? Is your stomach upset and you can't eat the foods you like? Balance 7 will change that and bring back your energy. Medved Show, as promised, one of the most distinguished commentators on foreign affairs, on domestic politics, on the world, uh, Brett Stevens of the New York Times, previously of the Wall Street Journal. He was also editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post for some years, uh, where he oversaw that paper's news, editorial, and digital operations and did a weekly column. He has just returned from uh, Ukraine and an eventful trip there. Uh, I, I, reading what you've written about Ukraine, uh, you are encouraged about what is going on in the war at this moment. Why? Well, uh, let me rephrase that, Michael, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm encouraged by what's going on in Ukraine, uh, which is to say that I saw a society that was exceptionally uh, resilient, patriotic, committed to winning the war and committed to uh, doing so in a manner that uh, is, 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 is humane and leads towards uh, greater democracy, less corruption, uh, a more westernized state. Uh, how the war is going is, is obviously another question we're going to have to see in the days ahead, whether, uh, whether Ukraine is able to press its counteroffensive successfully, it, it, the, the main thrust of it just began in the last 48 hours or so, or whether they're just going to be stymied by the, uh, by the sickness of uh, Russia's defenses. Uh, what about the, the idea of uh, this being an issue that is now dividing the Republican Party? It's not just Donald Trump. It's not just Ron DeSantis, who thinks it's a territorial uh, uh, dispute. Uh, what's remarkable is that there are uh, dozens of Republicans in the House and in, in the Senate who seem to be questioning our commitment to Ukraine. What is the best way to turn them around? 
Well, I don't know if they can be turned around, uh, but I think it's important that the rank and file of uh, Republican uh, voters uh, understand that we have a um, vital national interest in defending or helping Ukrainians, I should say, let me underscore this, helping Ukrainians, giving Ukrainians the tools to defend their independence, their freedom and their sovereignty against a Russian state that is not just an enemy of Ukraine but uh, or even just an enemy of the United States, but an enemy of the values of, uh, of the free world. And it used to be the Republican Party of uh, Eisenhower, Nixon, Reagan, and the Bushes that, that understood this, and it was the Democrats who didn't. Now those roles seem to have been or, or, or threat risk being weirdly reversed. I'm just sorry to see the Tucker Carlson wing of the Republican Party kind of restore the isolationist strain of republicanism that we all thought had been put to rest with uh, the America First movement uh, before the first world uh, before the Second World War. Well, I, I, I had Vivek Ramaswamy on my show, and he is uh, poisonously anti-Ukraine. Uh, and I wouldn't say he's a Putin apologist, but it's awfully close. Uh, and he seems to be surging right now. People are talking about the Ramaswamy tsunami. He's uh, rated third in some of the early primary states. What uh, uh, what should uh, the defenders of our uh, struggle in Ukraine, people like Mike Pence, what should they say to the uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's of this world? Well, a couple of things. You know, America is a big enough country that we, we, we can and we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to take care of our domestic uh, issues, and at the same time, we have to confront foreign adversaries. And right now, our foreign adversaries, principally uh, Iran, China, and Russia, are increasingly in a close alliance, just as Japan, Italy, and Nazi Germany were in a close alliance in the years leading up. To World War II. Secondly, we have an interest in making sure that Ukrainians can fight for themselves because Russia's next target, if it should be able to prevail in, over the long term in, in Ukraine, despite the, its, its first year of reversals, its next target is going to be a NATO country to which we are treaty bound to uh, come to their come to their defense. So uh, from, from, from the standpoint of just the, 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 the American interest, it's much better for Ukrainians to be fighting the Russians on our behalf than for us to be fighting on behalf of, say, the Lithuanians or the Latvians or Romanians or whatever other country uh, that might be in, in Putin's sights next. And the third point, and this is, this is really vital, if Russia can prevail in Ukraine, it will send an unmistakable signal to Xi in China that he can prevail in, in Taiwan. And any, anyone who values the semiconductors in their car, in their phone, or any other aspect of their lives should understand just how uh, interdependent we are globally on products that we're getting throughout the world, not just from Taiwan, but uh, also from, from Europe. So the idea that we can just put our heads in the sand, worry about the southern border with Mexico, and let the rest of the world alone is, is, is foolish. And time and again, history has proved that it's uh, that it's an invitation to conflict, not a way of keeping it at bay. Uh, and Brett Stevens, as I mentioned in introducing you, 
You've spent years in uh, Jerusalem. You know the Israeli political scene as well as anybody. And uh, right now, with the divisions in Israel, the massive demonstrations against the government's Supreme Court reform, uh, there's a, a news story that broken in the New York Times by your colleague, Tom Friedman, uh, that he spoke to President Biden, and President Biden is thinking about a massive push to bring Israel and Saudi Arabia together in uh, basically including Saudi Arabia with the Abraham Accords. Uh, would that be a wonderful thing? Is it uh, sounds like it would? Yeah, I mean, look, the question, uh, it's an obvious good thing to have Saudi Arabia uh, and Israel uh, bury, their, the, bury the hatchet, the longstanding enmity between them. Already for the last decade or so, there have been a lot of um, uh, subterranean ties on the intelligence front and the war against uh, Iran, but it would really put a, a formal end to the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict as we've known it for close to uh, close to 80 years. Um, the, the price that the Saudis are going to are going to ask uh, for it, and and we need to think hard about what that price is likely going to be. One is uh, a civilian nuclear program for Saudi Arabia, which is the usual vehicle by which countries obtain, uh, secretly obtain uh, nuclear weaponry. Um, uh, another will be formal security guarantees uh, for, from the United States for Saudi uh, security. And a third aspect will be various kinds of guarantees uh, inside of Israel for at least the creation, if not of a Palestinian state, at least the possibility of a Palestinian state, I say all of those are prices worth worth paying because the goal is, is, is invaluable. Okay, when we come back, uh, what about the future of Israeli politics and American politics, particularly in this uh, potential Trump uh, versus Biden repeat for 2024? We'll be right back with Brett Stevens of The New York Times. Welcome back to the Michael Medved Show with a very special guest, Brett Stevens of the New York Times. And, Brett, I hope you don't mind, but I want to give you one particular plug. One of the highlights of my week uh, is every week, uh, Brett, who is a uh, thoughtful, uh, a brilliant, dedicated conservative, uh, will have a joint column where he goes back and forth with Gail Collins, who is uh, on the mainstream liberal side. And uh, th those exchanges are always entertaining. My, my wife likes to read them aloud because they're so entertaining. And uh, congratulations on that. Concerning politics, and uh, first of all, what's happening in Israel, uh, the... Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, who has a new pacemaker that was installed and uh, still hasn't settled the charges against him, has a 64-seat coalition uh, out, of the 60, out of the seats that he needs. Do you 
think there is likely to be another election, uh, a, a, a fundamental change in the Netanyahu government, or is he going to ride out the demonstrations against him successfully? You know, I would be a fool to offer you a prediction, uh, Michael, because, you know, there are hints of movement, um, uh, the possibility that some of the members of Likud, uh, the governing or the major partner in the governing coalition could uh, defect to the opposition. Uh, the defense minister, who's a member of the Likud, uh, uh, Yoav Gallant, has signaled real discomfort with the direction of the government. But he also, uh, my sense is that he also feels strongly that he, he should be in charge of the defense ministry for the good of the country. So, uh, it's it's very hard uh, to, to to make a prediction because it's very it's just very hard to see what's what's really in people's minds. Uh, Israeli politics, I've learned over 25 years of observing it, is uh, as, even if it's a, a relatively small place, it's it's just filled with with surprises. So I uh, we'll have to read day by day. See what happens. One of the surprises would be how a, a new sweeping agreement with Saudi Arabia uh, not only would win Joe Biden the uh, the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, <laughs> don't you think? Uh, but also would probably be a survival, a life preserver for mm-hmm. the Netanyahu coalition. It, it might be. Um... You know, again, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, the the the, the problem with the, the sort of the uh, outlines of the plan that my colleague Tom Friedman uh, noted in his um, in his column the other day would not go down very well with uh, Netanyahu's right wing, far right wing coalition partners, who are just adamantly opposed to even the prospect of a Palestinian state on almost any terms, and are also opposed to. Uh, limits on on settlement expansion. So that Netanyahu that we knew, uh, you know, 10 years ago, who was much more of a pragmatist than the current Netanyahu, in part because the current Netanyahu has these has these coalition partners and because so much of what he does politically is dictated by his desire to stay in government so he can avoid or try to avoid uh, charges, criminal charges that, that have been laid against him. So all of that makes it it hard to foresee. But, yes, you you could have a kind of a major foreign policy event, whether it's the extension of the Abraham Accords to Saudi Arabia or perhaps conflict with Hezbollah in Lebanon or with Iran directly that just rearranges uh, rearranges the deck here. Okay, back to the United States of America. We we already have... uh a uh, mounting total of charges against uh, President Trump, former President Trump, uh, in terms of indictments and uh, some very serious charges against him. Uh, There's also an indication that the House of Representatives, with its narrow Republican majority, may actually move to impeach Joe Biden. What, What would be the impact on the country if we had two nominees... Uh, one of whom is facing uh, criminal trials in the federal and state levels, and the other of whom is facing impeachment. Uh, we've never had anything even vaguely like that, have we? 
Well, no, and uh, first of all, we, we have not. And, and secondly, I, I think what makes it all the more strange, Michael, is that uh, most Democrats don't want Joe Biden as their nominee. And I think a large proportion of Republicans hate the idea of Trump once again being the nominee. I don't know if it's a majority, but it's a, the problem is the Republicans who don't want him are divided among five or six candidates, whereas the Republicans who do want him are, are, are fixed on, on Trump. So we have this, we're, we're looking forward to a potential election contest between people who never mind aren't liked by the other side. They, they aren't particularly well liked by, by their own side. And I would wish something would, would break through and we could see two different names on the ballot come November of next year. What would be your dream team? Would you, uh, uh, if it's not Trump versus Biden, who uh, would be the Republican nominee? Who would be the Democratic nominee? Uh, the 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 Democratic nominee that I think would be likeliest, not not necessarily my favorite, but the likeliest nominee, uh, if I had to place a small bet, would be Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. I and agree with you, the, by the way. Because she is a governor. She's a governor of a big, important swing state. I think she presents very well. I think she speaks to the rank and file of the Democratic Party. I mean, look, I like Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary. She'd be my preferred Democrat, but I don't think she's got a, a, a real shot at it. Uh, I loved Michael Bloomberg when he thought he'd run for, for the nomination. But, you know, the Democrats think, think differently. Uh, as for the Republicans, um, Look, I'm not a big fan of much of the lineup right now, but if I had to choose, it would have to be Chris Christie because I, I, we, we need a Republican who will forthrightly say that, that Donald Trump has been a disaster for, for the GOP. And Chris Christie is uh, fairly strong on the Ukraine issue as well, is he not? He's terrific on the Ukraine issue. He, obviously, he's an outspoken guy. I think he would be amazing on any debate stage against against. Democrats or Republicans alike, and he represents what used to be the mainstream wing of the Republican Party, which was the party that I supported for many, many years. I, I feel like, you know, someone took my party from me, uh, and I, I, I wouldn't mind getting it back. And uh, in terms of getting it back, uh, there's news on Chris Christie coming up. Brett Stevens, thank you for your contribution always and for your perspective and background on so many areas uh, of the uh, world situation today. Uh, speaking of Chris Christie, he is one of uh, the very few Republican candidates who apparently is not going to make it to the Lincoln dinner in Iowa. There are 13 candidates who will be there. They get about 10 minutes each. But uh, we do have a uh, statement, controversial statement by Chris Christie that we will share with you. He was called out on it uh, fairly directly by uh, Nikki Haley, uh, who, by the way, also took up a challenge on the abortion issue and I think did spectacularly well with it. We'll get to that uh, and much more uh, all coming up uh, right here. Later in the show, we have uh, the Haunted House. It's actually just Haunted House from Disney. Worth seeing, entertaining. We'll tell you the truth and more.
Michael Medved. I'm listening to everything you say. One of the things to listen to when people say it, and people say it a lot, is that is it possible to be critical of President Trump at the same time that you respect and like and even in many cases admire some of the people who back him? In other words, one of the things that uh, I know that uh, a lot of President Trump's big fans and defenders say is that how can you be contemptuous or angry or uh, somehow look down upon the 74 million people who voted for him last time and uh, the many, many millions of people who are planning and very dedicated to voting for him again? And Chris Christie actually had a very good way of handling that. He was on Fox Business. And I thought because that's such a common point that people make is that how do you uh, somehow criticize or find fault with President Trump without attacking the people who support him? Uh, Here's Chris Christie's response. It's clip two. Hey, look, I haven't said a word about his voters. Whoever decides to vote for Donald Trump, that's their right to do it. I'm just going to try to convince them otherwise. My beef is not with anybody who voted for Donald Trump. My beef is with Donald Trump. Look, he failed us, Charles. He didn't repeal and replace Obamacare, even though he said he would. He said he was going to balance the budget, and you watched it on this network closely. Added $6 trillion to the national debt. And he said he was going to build a big, beautiful wall across the entire border of Mexico. We got 52 miles of new wall, and Mexico hasn't paid the first peso. Fail, fail, fail. Uh, Actually, there's a piece. uh, You can look it up. And uh, they they have something on the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, reality check. And uh, it, it talks about the actual wall that President Trump built. Uh, And uh, they point out that the facts are that various types of fencing totaling uh, 654 miles, it's a 2,000-mile border. So 654 miles was already built. That was already in place before Mr. Trump became president in 2017. That uh, Pieces of the wall, 654 miles, ran through the states of California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. The Trump administration say they've completed more than 400 more miles of border wall since then. Um, But uh, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection information, it's a total of 452 more miles. However, only... uh, 80 miles of new barriers have been built where there were none before. In other words, most of the the uh, material that President Trump did build uh, were secondary wall built to reinforce the initial barrier. There were a total, grand total in terms of primary walls, new barriers, 47 miles. And of a 2,000-mile border. Uh, so uh, that uh, it but gives you some perspective. 
Uh, there's also perspective from Nikki Haley, who uh, tried to distinguish herself. She is, um, she has said that uh, if President Trump is the nominee, she will support him. She, of course, was part of his administration. Um, so was Chris Christie, by the way, at one time. But uh, she was uh, concerned about Chris Christie taking such a harsh position on their fellow candidates. Here's what she had to say. Well, I'm not obsessively anti-Trump like he is. I talk about policies. So there are times where we've disagreed with with Trump. He thought January 6th was a beautiful day. I said it was a terrible day. He went on a spending binge as president. And I've said our kids are not going to forgive us if we don't take on this debt and call out Republicans and Democrats in the process. He thinks that Ukraine doesn't need to be messed with. I know that a win for Russia is a win for China. And we've got to make sure that Ukraine finishes this. We don't have to put cash. We don't have to put troops, but we need to work with our alliances to make it happen. And so there are multiple things I disagree with him, but it'll be on policy. It's not just not liking someone because of a personal vendetta. It's making sure that we talk about who's going to be the next president that can actually deal with the new issues and have new solutions. And that's why we need a new generation. Uh, She is very effective and compare what she said on this issue of how do you take on Trump, uh, just focusing on the policy differences, which are very ex- intense for some of the Republican uh, candidates with President Trump. Here's Ron DeSantis uh, talking about uh, President Trump with Megyn Kelly, and he's talking about President Trump and January 6th. Uh, listen. You said Trump should have done more on January 6th. Like what? Well, look, I think it's I think it's been well documented kind of his conduct when when it first started, how how he sat there, you know, could could have obviously leaned in harder. I think I mean, even his own kids were texting saying, you know, he needs to do more. He needs to do more. Is that criminal, though? I mean, that's the thing when you talk about a grand jury and a potential criminal indictment. Okay, here's the problem with uh, what uh, Ron DeSantis is saying is that there are now over 500 people who have been found guilty or they have pleaded guilty, uh, who are going to prison for their participation on January 6th. And again, is that criminal? And not all of them, by the way. There are people who are going to jail for January 6th, the people from Oath Keepers, who weren't actually entering the Capitol grounds themselves at all. They were just people who planned for it, and that's why they got convicted for seditious conspiracy. Now, if you're going to go after the leader of Oath Keepers who wasn't there in Washington at the time, uh, how do you not say that it's not just a question of President Trump could have done more? I mean, he could have done less. He actually urged thousands of people to march up to the Capitol building and said he would be marching with them. Well, which he didn't do. Uh, but uh, the idea that what did he expect them to do by marching up to the Capitol building? Is it not interfering with a legitimate government process? And that is exactly one of the things that he is likely to be indicted for regarding January 6th. We're talking about Nikki Haley a moment ago. And uh, on Tuesday, she spoke in Hollis, New Hampshire, to a vineyard uh, where there were about a hundred people gathered 
and a woman named Christina Zlotnick, 55, an undeclared voter from Amherst, posed a hard question. Uh, She said, uh, you said on TV that women, this is the question that she received, you said on TV that women who get abortions should not be put in jail and should not be subject to the death penalty. But how exactly should women who get illegal abortions, women like me, how do you specifically think we should be punished? Here's what she said. She said, in order for us to have a federal law, we've got to have a consensus. What does that consensus look like? Can't we all agree that we don't want late-term abortion? Can't we all agree that we want to encourage more adoptions and good quality adoptions so that children uh, feel more love, not less? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be accessible? And can't we all agree that a woman who gets an abortion should not be subject to the death penalty or get arrested? That's where I think we start. We start and we do it with a level of respect. No more demonizing this issue. We've got to humanize this issue. I had a roommate who was raped in college. I wouldn't wish on anyone what she went through, wondering if she was okay. Everybody has a story. Let's be respectful of everybody's story and let's figure out what we can do together instead of sitting there and tearing each other apart. Uh, That not being scripted for her, uh, not being prepared as a uh, off-the-cuff, unprepared, spontaneous answer, smart answer to a very tough question. It's one of the reasons that people should not discount Nikki Haley in this campaign. Coming up on the Medved Show, we have a couple of movies, one about the histories of making a billion dollars from little stuffed beanie babies. It's called The Beanie Bubble. You know how it turned out. Well, you may not, but you will with this film. There's also Haunted House, based on that Disney attraction at uh, Disneyland. And much more about words, the one word that characterizes each of the candidates in this greatest nation on God's